We are back. And we are on our second episode in the series within the series on critical theory where we are critiquing critical theory. That's right. So we did a couple episodes just laying it out. Yep. Here's what it is. Yep. Here's the history of critical theory. And now we're actually getting into what's wrong with it. That's right. So we're doing that first by looking at the four pillars of critical theory. Then we're, we're looking at the roots, right? We're examining the idea and we're going to kind of break down what's wrong with that. And then later we're going to talk about the fruit. We're going to say one of the ways that you can know that it's bad is by all the bad fruit that it produces. That's right. So our first episode on critique was last week. And what did we talk about there? We went over the hegemony, this concept of hegemony that uh, a culture's values and norms and all their common sense yeah. is... And everything. Yeah. It, and the idea behind critical theory is that that's all informed by white Protestant assumptions and Christian religion, and it all needs to be destroyed. Yeah, that's right. So this week, we're going to be talking about epistemology. Yes. Okay. Uh, what does that word mean? So epistemology is just the way that we justify our knowledge. It's the way that we explain how we know things. Yeah, so there are several branches of philosophy. Mm -hmm. One of the branches of philosophy that is really kind of at the bottom of all of the other branches of philosophy yeah. is it's kind of like uh, Sola Scriptura in the Reformation. There were a lot of different issues in the Reformation that they were, what's what's the true church and mm -hmm. what are, you know, this and the third. But in order to answer any of those questions, you had to stop and ask, well, where's our ultimate authority? Yeah. How do you know? How do you know? And so epistemology is that just in the philosophical world. How do we know what we know? Now, last week, you made the argument that critical theory is not just a tool, but that it is in itself a worldview or a religion. Yes. And so today we're going to talk about the epistemology of the religion of critical theory. Because right. every worldview, every religion has an epistemology. Every religion has an answer to the question, how do we know what we know? That's right. So tell us a little bit about the epistemology of critical theory. So critical theory generally uses an epistemology known as standpoint theory. Standpoint theory is the view that we can know things based primarily on our position in society. Okay. Uh, and so the, our social positions have to do with, through the lens of critical theory, our race, mm -hmm. our gender, our, our ableism, our age. And so your social position is really just an amalgamation of all these different group identities that you identify with. That's right. And so if you are a black, disabled, LGBTQ woman... Right. The standpoint theory says that you have influence from those different aspects of your identity yeah. that shape the way you see the world. That's right. And that as a white Christian man, I have certain parts of my identity that shape the way I see the world. Yeah. Uh, it goes a little bit farther than that. And Wait, sorry, real quick, just so yeah. we can be clear. So in this world of oppressed and oppressor, yep. with the oppressive hegemony and people who are being crushed by that, yes. standpoint theory says that if you are in the oppressed group, you, you do have access to truth, but because you are in this position of power, because you are an oppressor, you can't understand things that these oppressed people understand because of their lived experience. Yeah, that, that's actually what I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> the, and the reason I, I want to... I want to be clear that this is not just a teaching that your experiences shape your perception of reality. 
Because we would agree. Because with that. anybody would agree with that. Sure. Right. You you've been to jail. Oh well, you know things about jail. I don't know. Uh, you served in the military. Well, you probably understand something about combat that I'll never understand. And, and right. so that is sort of a a, a self evident truth. It's a truism. Yeah. It's so true that it almost doesn't even need to be said. A tautology, if you will. Ooh, look how, I will. Look how fancy we're getting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not what standpoint theory is. It okay. doesn't stop there. Standpoint theory says that the experience of oppressed people gives them a special access to the truth and, a, and particularly truth about the oppressive structures that they live in mm-hmm. and that those who are in the elite, the dominant group in society are blinded by an illusory view of society where they can't see those things. Mm. So special access to truth comes yeah. through one's identity as an oppressed person. Two things. Yes. Number one, this is... Yet another form of Gnosticism, mm. right? There's Wait, ela- a, elaborate there. What do you? What is Gnosticism? Well, you know, gnosis, knowledge, and it's 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 taken just like Marxism. It's taken ten thousand different uh, early heresy in the church. Early heresy it predates the church. Yep. It, it kind of glommed onto Christianity and and made that its own thing for a little while. But the basic idea is that there is a secret knowledge mm-hmm. that only a select few people can have access to, and different Gnostic groups over time have given different ways that one can have access to that special truth, right? And so in Christianity, it looked like one one way, right? But for this version of Gnosticism, it's m- the way that I can have access to this hidden realm of truth is through my oppression. That's right. Through okay. the experience, yeah. the lived experience of your oppression. Yeah, that's right. So brief history of this, uh, not to get too much into the details, I just want to have sort of an intellectual line drawn here. Okay. Uh, the term standpoint theory was coined by Sandra Harding, who's a UCLA women's studies professor or feminist from the 70s. Uh, And and she basically, in an interview where she was asked, where does this stuff come from? She immediately said, oh, yeah, Karl Marx. Yeah. You know, Marx asked the question, how do we understand society? And he answered it. Well, you don't go to the elite and ask them what's going on. You go to the oppressed workers. Yeah. Because they have a special access to the truth that the elite can't see. Yeah. And so the feminists in the 70s and and 80s picked this up uh, and ran with it. You know, 100 years after Marx, you have different forms of critical theory taking this idea and and making it the epistemological standard. This is how we know what's true. Mm. Um, It's important to understand that this as an epistemology, as a way of knowing, this is butting heads with the sort of traditional Western ideas about knowledge. Right. So the scientific revolution and the enlightenment are the fruit of a Christian worldview. Yeah. So this, the 17th century, the 18th century, when all this stuff was happening and, and reason was becoming this powerful tool that humans were recognizing, it's not really surprising that the Protestant Reformation was happening at roughly the same time. Right. We had theology, which says there are universal principles, structures to the universe that God upholds right. that are predictable, that we can discern. Yeah. That's the theology was driving science because and so what we see there is uh, really in the rejection of what we might think of as a Western way of knowing. Yeah. Standpoint theory and critical theory is rejecting a Christian way of, of understanding the world and of knowledge. Yeah, that's right. And we, we just want to be clear to say that uh we also think that a lot of what happened in the Enlightenment, although it grew out of a Christian worldview, like everything else devoid of Christ, it kind of went crazy. Right. And it said things like, 
it's the only way, right? And now right. we have the, the church of rationalism and there's no room for revelation and, yeah. and so on and so forth. So we're not saying that we agree with every aspect of the Enlightenment, but we are saying that by and large, it was a good thing at a certain point in history for God to kind of push the NOS button and, and really just amplify our understanding of how useful and how powerful logic and reason are. Well, what you see in the Enlightenment is, is what you see all throughout Scripture, which is that God gives a gift— it's a blessing. You know, yeah. He reveals the, the ordered, structured uniformity of nature and gives us the tools of science. Here you go. Yeah. And then we run off and worship them. Yeah, that's right. And so we build a, a golden calf yeah. out of our own reason and our own powers right. of perception and yeah. science and math. And, and we start to worship our, our, our autonomous yeah. human ability. Yeah. And that's where you get the humanism and the yeah. atheistic materialism of, yeah. of our last century. Now, what we've been trying to tell Christians you know, particularly of the most strident fundamentalist variety, is that the answer to that is not to throw away logic and reason. That's right. It's to ask, where does it come from? Yeah, and, and how do I use it well? And our answer is, is that you don't trust in reason for reason's sake. Right. You don't, you're, the base of our epistemology is not logic because I just have this blind trust in my mind's ability to discern reality. Right. It's that scripture, God has said logic is a, an objective tool we can use. Yeah. He has said, I uphold the universe and it is uniform and you can make logical deductions and inferences and trust them. Yeah, that's right. So really when we say we trust our reasoning, we're saying we trust God. That's right. So yeah. back to standpoint theory, it's important to understand that standpoint theory is not relativistic. It's not, it's not postmodern. Oh, you just said two big words. Yeah. You want okay. to define those? Uh, yeah. Relativism. All truth is is relative. You know, like uh, it's true for me, but it's not true. They're for social you. constructs. Yeah, that's right. You know, it, what's true for this tribe in the jungles of South America may not be true for Russell Berger and yeah. Huntsville. And postmodernism says the same thing. Yeah. Well, that's not standpoint theory. Standpoint theory says there is a truth. There is an objective reality that that we can access. Yeah. But in order to access it, you have to either be an oppressed person or you have to trust the experience and the testimony of oppressed peoples. Yeah. Real quick, I want to make one one delineation there. Yeah. Uh, everything that you just said is true in theory if you're looking at these two things written on a blackboard in a, in a classroom somewhere. In practice, it's, it's a lot it's messier messy. than that. Yeah. So, like, you could talk to someone who is very heavily influenced and a, a big believer in by and a big believer in critical theory who may be a relativist, they yep. may be more postmodern in their understanding of things, and they kind of tried to yeah. you know, mash those things together. But what you're saying is just at an academic level, right. on paper. Well, and if you, if you break this down, particularly the history of this concept even more, you actually have first wave and second wave standpoint theory. And just a lot like of it, feminism. a lot of it is the evolving ideas as postmodernists interact with this sure, idea and sure. push back against something called essentialism. It gets very messy. Okay. But this is basically how it's going to be presented by most people you interact with. Okay. So we're Sunday school version of this. That's right. Not master's level digging down deep. Okay. So what does standpoint theory almost get right? Well, they, uh, and, and by the way, why do you say it like that? <laughs> almost get right. Because uh, if I say, what do they get right? Yeah. I almost feel like I'm contradicting what we said at the end of our last episode. Which is? Which is that critical theory yeah. is not an analytic tool Christians should adopt. Yeah. Because it is a worldview yeah. with inseparable pieces glued together. Yeah. And if you take something that it almost gets right and you yeah. say, well, that's true. Let's use it. Yeah. 
you pull that whole chain along with you. Yeah, that's right. And all the other assumptions it comes with. Okay. So what it almost gets right is that we do, in fact, have access to truth in some way due to our unique experiences. Even as oppressed and oppressor, if you're even going to look through it, if you're going to look through the binary lens, right? Because we're not a, we're not denying that people are sometimes oppressed. That's right. And we're not denying that there are oppressive people. Yeah, and we're not denying that oppressive people are blind to their oppression and that oppressed people understand things in a, in a different way. I think the example that I shared in one of our earlier episodes on this was uh, when I was, and I'm not joking here, uh, when I was sexually harassed. Okay, I was sexually harassed in the workplace. You. Do you, are you just trying to bring this up as often as possible? I want people to know that I have been taken advantage Sean, of. you are an attractive man. Thank you. That's all I wanted. <laughs> um, no, but really though, you know, it, I had, I, you know, you hear about workplace training and yeah. no sexual harassment and so on and so forth. And I just never really thought that much about it. It just wasn't something that existed in my mind's eye. And then a woman grabbed me in my crotch. And you know what? All of a sudden, a whole world of oppression came to life for me. And I started thinking, oh, how terrible must it be for a woman who's got a boss who's always trying to look down her shirt or, you know, always trying to hint at things yeah. for promotions. And so my experience of oppression in that moment opened my eyes up to a whole new world that uh, I had never experienced before. So you're saying that it, that lived experience can help shape our understandings of reality and yeah. that that can be helpful. Yeah, I think that's yeah. I, I think that's also true of diversity in organizations. Okay. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is that there's an something, old wooden ship, an old, old wooden ship. There's something to be said for including people of diverse backgrounds, uh, socioeconomic strata, ages, education, life levels. experience yeah. within, for example, an elders board sure. or a corporate board or honestly a Bible study or yeah. a Sunday school. I see. I see a lot of advantages to having a Sunday school class with a young married couple, a teenager, and an elderly old saint that are lost when, like many you know, Southern Baptists or evangelical churches do, you break up you break up Sunday schools by affinity groups, yeah. uh, which is just so wickedly disuniting of the church yeah, and is, right. is based on trying to carnally appeal to people's affinities and yeah. outward uh, interests. And yeah, it's, it's terrible. Right. I'm going to yeah. get off on a, okay. on a side trail here. <laughs> Good uh, rant. Let's yeah, move on. Sorry. But uh, the idea is that these life experiences can be helpful. Yeah, that's right. Uh, however, there's some things about standpoint theory that are very, very wrong. Number one. Go. All of our minds are affected by sin. And because of that, we are fallible. In particular, two things are subject to error in our thinking, our okay. interpretations of our experience and the inferences we make from those experiences. Okay, now you just said a bunch of $2 words. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna, the guy with the GED is gonna try to help some of our listeners understand, okay? So if we're saying that the epistemology of critical theory is our experience, yes. you're saying that one of the problems with that, or two of the problems with that, <laughs> but I'll start with the first one, is that we don't rightly understand our experiences. Often. Yeah. We can make mistakes. More often than not, we misinterpret yeah. what we experience. We've, we've given some examples of this in, in the show before. Sure. So uh, somebody sits down next to you, they're a different skin color, you stand up and leave. That person may assume, oh, that guy was a racist. Yeah. When in reality, you just you just got a text that yeah. uh, you got to take a call real quick, or they smell like cigarette smoke, and you yeah. don't. It's giving you a headache, or yeah. for whatever number of reasons, sure. nothing to do with racism. 
Right. But because, for example, if you live in America, you live in a racialized society with a history of racism, you probably experience racism. Your experience in that moment is actually working against your understanding of reality and truth. Right. And that's what I meant by our inferences mm -hmm. from experience. So an inference is when you take a specific example or an instance of something. Yep. And then you sort of generalize it from there. So yeah. I let's say you were legitimately discriminated against at one point for being a woman or, or for LGBT whatever or, it is. Yeah. If you then infer that every similar situation is the same thing. Yeah. Or that any similar situation, that person has the same heart motive behind that. Right. You're you're liable to be making some serious errors. Yeah. So that's the main thing. Um, do you remember when we talked about cognitive bias? I do. We talked about that in our social media episode. Yeah. So ironically, one of the things about, about critical theory, in particular critical race theory, is that it actually fuels cognitive bias in this way. Okay, elaborate. So critical race theory comes from, comes from legal theory, and it basically assumes that racism is normative. So everyone, yeah. everyone out there who's part of the majority white culture or who is influenced by it yeah. is racist. Whether you know it or not. Whether, whether they like mean to be or not, or not yeah. everybody's racist. Yeah. And so when you walk around thinking that way, how do you think you're going to interpret every scenario in your life? Well, you're going right. to see racism everywhere because you're looking for racism everywhere. That's right. That's confirmation bias. Um, second issue with this is standpoint theory treats people of the same skin color, gender, uh, sexual identity as monolithic groups that all have the shared, the shared universal experience. Yeah, so every black person has had the same experience of racism in America. Every LGBTQ whatever person has had the same experience uh, as an oppressed person. Right. And that's just not true. It's nonsense. Yeah. So we can, I mean, every single person listening to this can think of exceptions. Sorry, real quick. We have to insert the Joe Biden. If you don't vote for me, you ain't black. That's, that is the mindset we're talking about. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and so you, I know black rednecks. I know white people who live in the projects and who are racially discriminated against frequently. Yeah. Uh, but what's really interesting is when someone from one of these supposedly oppressed groups comes to conclusions that are different than those of critical theory. Yeah. That's where this entire epistemology unravels. Right. So, for example, let's say you take uh, uh, an African-American who is conservative politically. Thomas Sowell. Thomas Sowell doesn't agree with any of this stuff. Well, by the very nature of standpoint theory, he is supposedly, he, as an oppressed person, he has access to the truth. So what happens when someone who has access to the truth as, as an oppressed person disagrees with someone else yeah. who's an oppressed person? Well, now whose truth is the right truth? Right. Well, critical theory makes it easy for us. If you arrive at a truth other than what basically Marxism is teaching, yeah. you are incorrect yeah. and you have internalized your oppression. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's essentially a way of saying you've been brainwashed. You're, you're, you have something akin to Stockholm syndrome. For uh, people who don't know Stockholm syndrome, you get kidnapped. You fall in love with your kidnapper. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so if you happen to be black, if you happen to be LGBTQ, a gay person yeah. or a woman, and you don't agree with this binary social strata or yeah. standpoint theory yeah. or social justice, yeah. you are just a brainwashed victim of the white Christian hegemony. Yeah. And, and really what this is, is it's, it's the fallacy of special pleading. Okay. So as an oppressed person... You have special access to the truth. Unless you disagree with us, then you don't. Okay. 
That's a heck of a fallacy. I mean, that's exactly what this is. Yeah. It, uh, if you want to read more people on this, uh, like if we've kind of piqued your interest, two people, not along racial lines, uh, but along LGBT lines, which I think w- we said earlier that we're going to be talking a lot about race because it seems to be the most prominent issue. But LGBT stuff is like yeah, right there. And feminism. Feminism, uh, third, 15th wave feminism. Uh, but Douglas Murray and Andrew Sullivan, Sullivan two gay men, have written uh, – at length against a critical view of uh, sexuality and gender and uh, what you've just described is exactly what has happened to them. They've been treated like a slave who has fallen in love with the plantation. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Madness of crowds. Fantastic. Book. Great book. Read it. All right. Number three. Here we uh, go. The third problem that we want to point out with standpoint theory is this rejection of rational thought as authoritative. Rejection of rational thought. So reasoning, logic, uh, math. If you want to see some just, just some very illustrative examples of this, mm. you can find tweets of public school teachers telling us that two plus two doesn't equal four, and that is a white, racist, colonialized version of thinking. Math is a racial construct. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's some wacky oh, fringe. Excuse me, a white supremacist construct. I know that because I sent you that tweet. You did, actually. Yeah, right. So there's some fringe examples of the way this plays out, yeah. but it's not in a vacuum, as we've said before. This is actually the way that standpoint theory leads people to think. Yeah. Uh, and so we're not saying that logic and reason and rationality should be our ultimate standard of truth. Right. Uh, that's a mistake many Christians make, and you see it frequently when Christians go to try and defend the authority of Scripture or the truth of Christianity, and right. they begin by appealing to their reason. Right. Here are all the reasonable things about Christianity that I have rationally determined, and therefore it's true. Evidential apologetics, it's, 101. It's, yeah, it's useful at times, but that sure. ultimately, when it comes to how we know, God's word tells us that our reason is trustworthy, That's right. not the other way around. Right. So we're not saying that reason is, is to be our ultimate, but we are saying it is a profoundly useful tool. And by rejecting it, uh, what what this worldview, what standpoint theory is actually rejecting is the way that God has has gifted us mm. in our knowing objective truth. And not only to help us understand the world, but also for those who want to understand the oppression of the oppressed. Logic and reason don't have to work against that. If you have been oppressed and you have an understanding of truth as an oppressed person that I don't have, it's only because I can trust logic and reason that I have any hope of understanding your experience as an oppressed person. That's right. Now, now standpoint theorists, critical theorists will argue, well, that's not true. Logic and reasoning aren't objective. Math isn't objective. And they'll inevitably give some kind of example where someone takes a statistic or takes a, a fallacious mm-hmm. argument mm-hmm. and applies it if it's, as if it's true. Right. Uh, and, and so we want to point out that just because someone appeals to logic or math or statistics does not mean that they're right. Yeah, you can absolutely abuse statistics, for example. Yes. You know, uh, Mark Twain said there are lies, there are damned lies, and then there are statistics. Right. right? So you can use logic and reason you really can use it as a tool of oppression Mm -hmm. but but here's here's the kicker here's what's so ironic about all this is that if you want to prove that someone is using logic and reason to oppress you have to use logic and reason to demonstrate that you can't crawl out of in the same way standpoint theory is arguing that lived experience is authoritative above logic and reasoning and certainly revelation which they reject they're arguing that that this is superior 
and their argument is a logical argument. Mm -hmm. It is, it's ultimately self-defeating. It's inconsistent. Uh, it, it, it sort of falls apart when you look hard at it. But it is a logical argument. But it is a logical argument. Yeah. And, and so what this brings us back to is, is sort of, we're kind of getting into the fourth pillar of critical theory here, but, but ultimately that this way of viewing the world is deeply driven by activism and pragmatism, not so much having a neatly tied, neatly packaged, clean view of reality. That's right. So incoherence and inconsistency and making arguments that actually turn out to defeat your own argument, it doesn't matter as long as it gets the job done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to, to add something to that last point, when, when they tried to use logic and reason in order to make an argument to demonstrate their oppression, and if you reject that argument based off of your own logic and reason, their epistemology, I think right here, most uniquely, most pointedly, comes into play. That's where they find the utility most helpful. Yeah. Because then they can say, well, I just reject your logic and right. reason because yeah. you're the oppressor. Th this is where all argument ceases to be productive. Yeah. I if we don't have a shared epistemology, we can't really interact in a meaningful way about anything. And, and I think also because epistemology is such a fundamental question, and as you said in the beginning of this episode, it's an essentially religious question. It, it brings us back to what we talked about last episode about how this critical theory really is a religion. Mm -hmm. And you see that in this idea of instead of being born into sin and blinded by sin, we're born into the dominant culture and we're blinded mm -hmm. by the privilege of that, mm -hmm. uh, that elite culture that mm -hmm. is oppressive. Uh, and, and you see, instead of conversion, you have this idea of becoming woke or mm -hmm. enlightened to yeah. the oppression, to the secret true knowledge that the oppressed class has. Yeah. And then after your conversion, you begin a lifetime of atonement where you just try and do as much as, you know, wash the feet of, of oppressed people and donate to, to transgender organizations, divest yourself of your whiteness, or, or do what was demanded in, of protesters in Seattle recently and give up your home and your car. Yeah. So it very much does function as a religion. Uh, and, and we need to remember that as we engage with people who think this way, that we, uh, you can tear down someone's critical theory, but yeah. if you're not replacing that with the gospel, yeah. And with God's truth, uh, you're, you're not really doing the evangelism that we want to see done in these conversations. That's right. So uh, read history, understand how this whole thing fits together, but spend more time reading your Bible. Yeah, and, and offer them hope. I mean, offer them something better than wokeness and a lifetime of atoning for racial sins. Every false religion is like a yoke, and it will drag you to the ground yeah. and to hell. And what we have to offer them really is life-giving. It removes the yoke. That's right. Yeah. Amen, brother. That's Amen. A, probably a good place to stop. That's right. Well, uh, catch us next time. Wait, what, what? what about t-shirt giveaways? Uh. So I had a really bad idea <laughs> for t-shirt giveaways this time. It was somebody share the episode and write up a paragraph explaining the episode and why it's useful. You gave homework. I gave homework, and that's my style, dude. Uh, that's my style. It is. And, you know, some people have done it, and they're going to get a T-shirt. But maybe we have a better idea. Maybe let's, we're going to do some, what, trivia? Let's do some trivia. Yeah, so yeah. stay tuned on our Facebook page. Uh, yeah. Listen for future episodes. Episodes? Yeah, future episodes, <laughs> and uh, we'll be giving away more T-shirts. All right, thanks for listening. Right, bye.